I see that there are still a number of people streaming in. Uh, it's as lovely as each little square pops up and um, someone bows or reminds me of the ceremonies we do in which, um, uh, for example, at the end of a head student ceremony, we do what's called a Jundo, where um, you walk around the Zendo and everyone bows like a wave as you go around the Zendo. And that's what it feels like as people come in, everyone's bowing. It's a lovely kind of a Jundo uh, ceremonial entry. I'll have to look at a second page, make sure I see everyone's face. Well, let's let's begin with just um, a, a few moments of sitting. Um, others, I'm sure, will, will join us.
as I prepare to ring the bell, which just signals our time to invoke the rope chant, would you please join me in dedicating the merit of our practice during this time today to all the election workers across uh, our country here, people brave enough to show up today at polling places around the country, and the dedicated workers who will no doubt be working late into the night, counting and recounting these precious votes. These are our heroes today. We dedicate our practice to them. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Uh, let me... Um, I give you an um, an idea of how I want to shape our time today. Uh, first of all, it's amazing to be back and to see all of you. <clears throat> uh, so many faces on so many pages on, on my screen anyway. It's wonderful. Uh, and I also um, am grateful for everyone from every country who is not in the United States today, um, uh, being here and this reflection, because I know it's a bit Americocentric in some ways, but yet the teachings are universal. But those of you in, uh, in Spain and Switzerland and the UK and Canada, uh, all the other places that I, I hope I haven't missed anyone, maybe someone in Mexico. But these are universal teachings, of course. Uh, this is what I would like to do. Uh, this will essentially be one long weaving of meditations and teachings. Um, we're not going to raise hands or discuss today. You know how that would go with so much on the line. Um, it's so complicated. And so if you'll indulge me, um, in a way, I'm sharing my practice. Uh, with you, but it's our practice. I'm going to have four stepping stones, starting with uh, Lori, Todd, Joel, and Suzanne, who spoke in my absence. I'll just briefly say something about their teachings. And those stepping stones are prompt for 
a teaching or a piece of poetry that has to do with this day in the United States and the, and the teachings that I see that flow from them. So that's going to be our pathway today, our practice path together. So I appreciate your attention and your dedicated effort in being here today and for holding uh, what, what I think is a useful um, dedication of our practice, as I said, uh, to those on the front lines today. <clears throat> on October 4th, Lori spoke about <clears throat> what she called uh, awareness of the boundless, effortless sky. <clears throat> Pardon me. How we can learn to shift into freedom. And isn't that a wonderful way to think of today? It's possible to shift into freedom. And we begin as we always begin here with, um, we begin where we started life, where we took our first breath and where we'll take our last, which is grounded in our bodies at home here on the ground within these relationships and this very life on, on this particular day. And uh, maybe you've noticed, I did when I was sitting, I noticed all the, the contractions, the fears, the, the pains or the weariness and also the vitality that I bring to this day. The, um, the looking forward to being with you, but Remember that this noticing and this appreciating the body uh, is respectful too, but it's not bound by all of these experiences, which are fluctuating. You know, we chant vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. We offer this chant, the full chant at the end of our first sitting in the morning in the Zendo, it's a reminder of how we are held and how we are to hold each day as we walk into that new day, into the light. And as we walk into this day and whatever will follow, our practice asks us to continue to appreciate this life. It seems to me like a lifetime ago, when the poet Elizabeth Alexander stood at Barack Obama's first inauguration and offered a praise song, which is a classical African poetic form used to uh, praise or laud a person or a moment or something in nature. You know, in our, our churches, our synagogues, we may sing praises as a reminder of the good or as an inspiration when life seems daunting and we, we need those. And there was a day in 2009 when there was this praise song for the day, which was Hamilton's uh, name of her poem. And remember, when she stood on that august stage, she was facing the people, not the president. And how is this turning toward each other? How is this alive today? And so listen to the words from that, that day. 
praise psalm for the day by Elizabeth Alexander and see how it echoes on this day. Each day we go about our business, walking past each other, catching each other's eyes or, or not, about to speak or speaking. All about us is noise. All about us is noise and bramble, thorn and din. Each one of our ancestors is on our tongues. Someone is stitching a hymn, darning a hole in a uniform, patching a tire, repairing the things in need of repair. Someone is trying to make music somewhere with a pair of wooden spoons on an oil drum with cello, boombox, harmonica, voice. A woman and her son wait for the bus. Our farmer considers the changing sky. A teacher says, take out your pencils, begin. We encounter each other in words, words spiny or smooth, whispered or declaimed words to consider, reconsider. We cross dirt roads and highways that mark the will of some and then others who said, I need to see what's on the other side. I know there's something better down the road. We need to find a place where we're safe. We walk into that which we cannot yet see. Say it plain, say it plain, that many have died for this day. That many have died for this day, seeing the names of the dead who brought us here, who laid the train tracks, raised the bridges, picked the cotton and the lettuce, built brick by brick the glittering edifices that they would then keep clean and work inside of. Praise song for struggle, praise song for the day, praise song for every hand-lettered sign, the figuring it out at the kitchen table. Some live by, love thy neighbor as thyself. Others by, first do no harm, or take no more than you need. What if the mightiest word is love? What if the mightiest word is love? Love beyond marital, filial, national, love that casts a widening pool of light. Love with no need to preempt grievance. In today's sharp sparkle, the, this winter air, anything can be made, any sentence begun, on the brink, on the brim, on the cusp, praise song for walking forward into that light. Praise song for walking forward into that light on the brink, on the brim, on the cusp. Praise song for walking into that light. And I'll just offer a bell at the each of 
each piece of poetry. I know it's a lot, but just let it wash through you. On the 10th, uh, excuse me, on the 18th of October, uh, Todd offered us a reflection. Compassion is practice. And he quoted, um, pardon me again, from my teacher Blanche, he, where she said, it is our intention to relieve suffering. Intention is the key to whether our actions are wholesome or not. What I want to recommend, she said, and this is what we're recommending today, of course, together. What I want to recommend to you is to see the light of the moon in every drop of water, to see Buddha mind, Buddha heart in everyone. Everyone, everyone, not just those we want to see it in, everyone. So we're going to have to ask, what kind of person does this? How are you able to do this? What must you have practiced? Who must you have loved? Uh, in turn, what kind of love must you have received to come to such a place? We just chanted, wearing the universal teaching, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature thus harmonizing all being. And here's a, a beautiful re reflection on this teaching that, that Tard brought to us and that uh, through Blanche's words. It's a, again, it's something just like Hamilton's poem that you all experience more than likely. And I'll, I'll see how I do reading it without weeping. But, uh, it's, a, it's a piece by um, Naomi Shihab Nye um, entitled Gate A4. Remember, our practice is an everyday affair. Our Zen practice is not some esoteric bit of religiosity. <laughs> and this poem's tone is conversational, uh, conversational, and the diction is very plain spoken. It's not uh, esoteric or, or high speech. It, it touches on the questions I just posed about how compassion comes into the world. But he goes further on this day to remind us of the necessity of ordinary kindness in a divided, suspicion-riddled world. The poet says that this poem, uh, she said it's meant to be read aloud, like everyday speech. So that's how I'll read it. I, I love that it's called gate A4 because it's obviously a Dharma gate. Here are her words. Wandering around the Albuquerque airport terminal, after learning my flight had been delayed for four hours, I heard the announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of gate A4 understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days, gate A4 was my gate, so I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled on the floor, wailing. Help, said the flight attendant, talk to her. 
what is her problem? We told her the flight was going to be late and she did this. Well, I stooped to put my arm around the woman and spoke haltingly. As an aside, I don't speak Arabic, so here's the phonetics that I was given. <laughs> the minute she heard any words she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been canceled entirely. She needed to get to El Paso for major medical treatment the next day. I said, no, no, we're fine. You'll get there just later. Now, who's picking you up? Let's call him. We called her son. I spoke to him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and ride next to her. Uh, she talked to him. Then we called her other sons just for the fun of it. Then we called her dad. Excuse me, call my dad. We called my dad and he and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, they had 10 shared friends. Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her. All of this took two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling of her life, patting my knee, answering questions. Um, she pulled out a sack of homemade mamul cookies, little powdered sugar crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts from her bag, and she was offering them to all the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the mom from California, the lovely woman from Laredo. We were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There are no, there's no better cookie. And then the airline broke out free apple juice from huge coolers and two little girls from our flight ran around serving it. And they were covered with powdered sugar too. And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with green furry leaves. It's such an old country tradition. Always carry a plant. Always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around the gate of late and weary ones and I thought, This is the world I want to live in. This shared world. Not a single person in that gate. Once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all of these women too. This can still happen anywhere not everything is lost. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. This can still happen everywhere. Not everything is lost.
On the 25th of October, Joel brought us a spontaneous talk on the five remembrances. I'm the nature to grow old. I'm of the nature to have ill health. I'm of the nature to die. All that is dear to me and everything I love are the nature of change. And number five, my deeds are my closest companions. I'm the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. Our actions. Reminding us that at this very moment, right now, and Joel reminded of this in a very kind way, in the, uh, we're immersed in the sweetness of the Appamata Sangha and our shared commitment to each other. Appreciating the undercurrents of generosity, commitment, and love. And, and this brings us back home together, week after week, into that tender place that you see moving in me in this. Because when we do this in the process, we are embodying and expressing the very heart of democracy, mutual care of our little community. This is what Buddha nature does. But we have to remain awake. Wakefulness is in a constant state. It's not a given. Just like our country. It must be practiced and renewed just as we vote today to practice and renew our shared body full of conflict, fear, hope, and possibility. And there's a line in the upcoming poem over and over, let them not say, and I will add mine, let them not say we did not remain awake. When, when we finish, we're going to chant caught in the self-centered dream. Only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. This is the cycle of suffering, isn't it? The next poem is entitled, Let Them Not Say, by Jane Hirschfield. And she wrote it in 2014. Uh, she said the impulse, this is her words, the impulse to write it was entirely an impulse of environmental grief. She said, but I felt it was like, um, to me like a poem that had some work to do in the world, so I didn't just send it out. She said she kept it for a while. And then it was published on poets.org on the day of Trump's inauguration. The Academy of American Poets director told her it went more viral than any poem that had ever run on the site. So this is the kind of poem that um, I want to stand on a, on a box on a corner. <laughs> Let Them Not Say by Jane Hirschfield. Let them not say we did not see it. We saw. Let them not say we did not hear it. We heard. Let them not say we did not taste it. We ate. We trembled. Let them not say it was not spoken, not written. We spoke. We witnessed with voices and hands. Let them not say we did nothing. We did not enough. 
let them say, as they must say something, a kerosene beauty, it burned. Let them say we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned. Let them say we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned. Let them not say, we did not see it, we saw. Let them not say, we did not hear it, we heard. Let them not say, we did not taste it, we ate, we trembled. Let them not say, it was not spoken, not written, we spoke. We witnessed with voices and hands, let them not say, we did nothing. We did not enough. Our care here, let them say we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned. On the 1st of November, Suzanne reminded us that there's no escaping life. In her reflection, she recalled the five remembrances that Joel had, had brought to us the week before. And in her her flavor of her teachings brought this as a way to remember the actual impact of life as body, as breath of mind and emotions. And she brought another list, a stunning, intimate, raw, real list that had come with her own diagnosis. But it's our diagnosis too. She brought it in a personal way. The four words were rare, incurable, progressive, eventually fatal. But she was told six years ago. Our life is rare. It's incurable. It's progressive and eventually fatal. Some of you, like I, have heard Norman Fisher once said that his students who are physicians 
He says, you know, when you sign a death certificate and it says cause of death, you have to put life. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment is compassion's way. If this is always the case, then we're going to face a big question. How do I live my life? How, are, how should we live? How are we going to live together? So the five remembrances and these four remembrances that Suzanne gave us are reflections for all of us all the time. And sometimes they become really, really personal when you're given a cancer diagnosis or on a critical election day like today. And remember, we remember that it all has to be lived. We can watch TV and read our podcasts and wring our hands and wish and hope and complain. But we have to live together. And not only is all of this happening now to everyone, it's happened before. And it will happen again. And Suzanne very graciously reminded us of the first of the pure precepts, which we sometimes translate as our vow is to live and be lived. I just love this to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. To live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. So I'm going to offer a little bit of background for this final poem. The background is longer than the poem, but it's important because it's part of it. And I'm going to read this brief historical narrative that prompted the poet to write the poem. And this is what I want you to do. Listen to the echo of the present moment. Ringing from a hundred years ago, from 1920. All you have to do is change the names, change the legislation, and it's news on CNN or whatever. But it's, it's not only a reflection of the past, it also very directly speaks to the future and the young people who will follow us. What are we going to inherit? What are they going to inherit from us? And what are they going to do with what they're given? This is the going forward, even though we're looking back. The poet, and here I am again with a very difficult name. Her first name is easy, Amy, A-I-M-E-E. -E. The uh, uh, phonetic pronunciation of her name that's given when you get her poems is Nuzukuma Tatatl. She was born in Chicago of a Filipino mother and her father from the south of India. This is America, you know. <laughs> this amalgam. This is the way America's always been. This complicated, flawed, amazingly robust experiment. And just the, the title of the poem, which I'll get to in a moment, 
is arresting. The title is One Vote. One Vote. But this is the background. I'll read it first because it gives the poem its meaning. And once again, uh, I don't know, some of you probably read Heather Cox Richardson and you hear this uh, historical perspective of the day and how it's connected. This is something she might have written. In August of 1920, the struggle between the suffrage movement, uh, which uh, was for the right of women to vote in the United States, some of you might not be aware of it, the suffrage movement and the powerful anti-suffrage forces had come down to a series of votes in Tennessee. Now, the suffrage movement had found a way to get Congress to approve this proposed 19th Amendment with the endorsement of the outgoing President Woodrow Wilson, who hadn't originally supported it until it became needed as part of the war effort. By the middle of 1920, a total of 35 states had voted to ratify the amendment. The problem was that 36 states were needed, and there was only one state left where a vote could be taken that year. Four other available states, Connecticut, Vermont, North Carolina, Florida, it sounds like the news tonight, right? Would not consider the resolution for various reasons. The remaining states had rejected the amendment, but Tennessee decided it would tackle the ratification vote. And supporters from both sides camped out at a Nashville hotel and began intense lobbying efforts in what became known as the, known as the War of the Roses. Supporters of suffrage wore yellow roses in, the, in public and anti-suffragists wore red roses. It's not exactly the red and the blue these days, but the suffragists had lobbied a young man named Byrne. He was the youngest member of the state house, but they were unsure how he's going to vote. They did know that any vote to bring the amendment to the floor would be too close to call, as well as the vote to ratify the amendment. So on August 18th, the legislator voted on a motion to table or delay any ratification vote. Ah, delay these days. <laughs> it seemed as if the anti-suffragists had enough votes to delay a 19th Amendment vote after Byrne arrived wearing a red rose and voted to table the amendment. But another representative, Banks-Turner, switched sides in the roll call leaving the vote deadlocked and moving the ratification vote forward. The suffragists would need one more vote to make the 19th Amendment the law of the land, and what happened stunned the legislature. Early in the voting, Byrne, who came from a conservative district and wore the red rose on his lapel, surprised everyone when he said in a clear voice, I, when asked if he would vote to ratify the amendment. Byrne had a letter in his suit pocket from his mother, Feb, F-E-B-B -B was her first name, it's an unusual name, Feb, middle initial E, Byrne, 
He had a letter in his suit pocket from her in which she asked him to be a good boy and vote for the amendment. When Turner also voted in favor, favor of the ratification, the 70-year-old battle for suffrage was over. Lawmakers in Tennessee tried to delay the state's official approval. Sound familiar? But on August 26, 1920, the official document arrived in Washington and they were quietly signed by the Secretary of State. Byrne later explained that he initially voted to table the vote so that it could be brought back into the next legislative session. But after it came to the floor, he had several reasons to change his mind. This is a quote. I knew that, my that a mother's advice is always safest for a boy to follow, and my mother wanted me to vote for ratification, he said. I appreciated the fact that an opportunity such as seldom comes to a mortal man to free 17 million women from political slavery was mine. And a final note, which is oddly echoing of the current moment, his mother, Feb, then reported that she was pressured in person by the wife of the governor of Louisiana to recant the letter and say it was a fraud, it was fake, and she refused to do so. This has happened before, both the difficulties and the good, and it will happen again. The poem, One Vote, and Amy, under the title, put, after reading a letter from his mother, Harry T. Byrne cast the deciding vote to ratify the 19th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. She writes, my parents are from countries where mangoes grow wild and bold and eagles cry the circle in arcs and dips. America loved this bird, too and made it clutch olives and arrows. Some think of an eaglet falls, the mother will swoop down to catch it. It won't. The eagle must fly on its own accord by first testing the air slide over each pin feather. Even in a letter of wind, a mother holds so much power. After the pipping of the egg, after the branching, an eagle's on its own. Must make the choice on its own, no matter what it's been taught. Some forget that pound for pound, eagle feathers are stronger than an airplane wing. And even one letter, one vote, can make the difference for every bright thing. Even one letter, one vote, can make the difference for every bright thing. Even one vote can make the difference.
on that cold January morning, Elizabeth Alexander facing multitudes of people on the mall in Washington, next to the first African-American president in the history of this country, said on the brink, on the brim, on the cusp. Praise song for walking forward in that light, the light of that day. But this day is also lit. This is how we maintain an awareness of the boundless, effortless sky that, that Laurie spoke of. If we can praise, if we can bring ourselves to the day and appreciate our life, even when it's tough, not, not like it, just have the willingness and the commitment and the constancy to continue. When we find ourselves on the brink, on the brim, on the cusp, find some small thing to bring our praise song and some bit of light that we can offer to someone else. And that offering might look like some simple kindness at the gate at an airport. When Naomi Shihab Nye, the Palestinian father and American mother says, after things turn, this can happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. This can still happen. Not everything is lost. No matter how discouraged or distressed, compassion is still our practice. It's, it's really necessity. If things are not to be lost, if we maintain this possibility that this can still happen. And it happens by ordinary kindness of reaching out your hand to one person. By the generosity and weaving together of hearts and minds that want to be woven together, that, that long for it. But that calls us to kind of a, a fierceness that Jane Hirschfield spoke about. Let us not say, let them not say. We didn't see, we didn't hear, we didn't taste, we didn't speak. We didn't vote. Let them say we voted and cared enough to keep the light shining. And rather than invoking the Fifth Amendment, we invoke the five remembrances and remember. We do incriminate ourselves. We say, yeah, I'm responsible for this, all of this together. And together we keep it shining. So let's look and hear and taste and speak and vote. And if we're willing to accept and praise each day, remembering that all is not lost and reach our hand in kindness, call ourselves to the fierceness of practice, to stay attentive and awake, then as we act in the world, as Amy said, even one letter, one vote, one act 
can make the difference in every bright thing, leading us back to that light that Elizabeth Alexander spoke of on that day. Now is not the time to turn away. Even it would be hard to remain present with dignity and integrity. You are full of dignity and integrity. Bring it forward. That's your responsibility. It's our practice. As Suzanne said, there's no escaping life. And as Elizabeth Alexander said, what if the mightiest word is love? What if the mightiest word is love? And let them say we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned. Everything is not lost. We praise this day and walk forward in that light. And remind ourselves of this in the simplest way, in those four repetitive, habitual, but very alive lines, if you will let them be fully alive. And use your voice, say it out loud together, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. I will uh, say um, for, for Maria, um, thank you for, for being here on this day and thank you for indulging this long outflowing of my own practice that, that brings us together, I hope, on this day. And thank you for all, all of those uh, people outside of this country who are holding us. We hold you. Thank you for your supporting care for Appamata and this community, not only as it exists in Austin, but as it spreads and has spread throughout out the world. Your support allows this to continue, and it's deeply appreciated. 
um, on the website, you can see the link for making a contribution. Uh, and if you do so, it would be most grateful. Uh, please continue uh, with us in practice uh, over time. If you want to continue today where now you can meet each other, um, I'm not in your way any longer. Uh, just stay with uh, Maria and she will continue to uh, invite you into um, these virtual containers where we can we can meet uh, more deeply. I bow to each and every one of you. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for your presence. What if love is the mightiest word? Thank you. Thank you so much, Flint, for such a wholehearted, moving offering. And thank you all so much for being here and showing up and creating this shared space. It feels like the cookies have been handed out and we're all covered in the same powder sugar right now. It feels just wonderful that, that we're all here together. And um, and if you'd like to continue to meet, oh yes, and I forgot about that because um, Flint's already said about the um, website uh, to go to appamada.org. If you'd like to offer Dana to Flint or to any of um, Appamada's offerings, please do so. And, um, and if you'd like to continue to meet and share then please do pop yourself into gallery view, stay right where you are and we'll continue for a further 30 minutes. Thank you all so much. Thank you.